0: Welcome to Disruption Dialogues Podcast Season 2. Listen to the influential leaders and trailblazers from around the world as they share invaluable insights to navigating the fifth industrial revolution. Hello and uh, welcome to another episode of Disruption Dialogues Season 2. I'm Vinod Chika Chief Customer Officer at Markets and Markets. And today I'm in conversation with Jitu Patel, EVP and GM of the Security and Collaboration Business at Cisco. Uh, Jitu is a visionary leader, leveraging his expertise in product design, market understanding, and operational rigor as Cisco's Executive Vice President and General Manager of the security and collaboration business. He drives the strategy and development of this multi-dollar business, focusing on high-growth software as a service solution to solve the biggest problems for Cisco's customers. Thank you very much, Jitu, for joining us today. And welcome to Disruption Dialogues.
1: Thank you, Vinod. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to be here.
0: Yeah, so uh, today is a very interesting area, right? Uh, you're running the collaboration and security portfolio, and both of these have become center stage for all businesses globally over the last few years. Uh, thanks to COVID, we saw this um, unnatural, almost exponential bump in usage of collaboration and security solutions across the world. And equally in the last one year, as the world has normalized, we are seeing a normalization of the same. So it must be a very exciting time to run this business. And um, just wanted to get your thoughts to get the conversation started. What do you think is the future of hybrid workplaces now? Now that we are clear that it's not going to be either, or it's going to be a hybrid. What do you think about the shift from in-office work to work from anywhere? To work from everywhere.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we know the before we get started, one of the things that I've always felt like the quality of problems that you decide to solve in your life is directly proportional to the success of the outcome. Where the harder the problem you solve, I lucked out in the sense that the two problems that I have the good fortune of solving in my life are are ones that almost every human is thinking about right now. You know, how do you work? Where do you work from? Uh, and the second one is how do you stay safe as you're doing that, you know, from a security standpoint? So super interesting. And as you think about hybrid work, look, I think the future is um, is not going to be kind of a singular mode of working. I think there's going to be multimodal working. People are going to work sometimes from the office, sometimes from home, sometimes somewhere in the middle. They'll be distributed. They'll be centralized. There's going to be this kind of hybrid is the new normal. You know, and as we think about that, it's um, it's actually interesting because it's going to be harder than when everyone worked in the office or when everyone worked remotely during COVID. And the reason it's harder is because you create this natural asymmetry where the people that are together physically. Have an advantage that the people that are virtual sometimes feel left out from and um and when that happens on a consistent basis, the folks that are virtual might feel like oh i'm I'm not getting enough of a say. I don't have enough of a seat on the table. And so what we have to do is make sure that you can use technology to compensate for those kind of uh, missing factors um, that that might be there. Um, and and that's an area that we've actually spent a fair amount of time on thinking about deeply which is how do you make sure that regardless of the distance that you feel like you're um you know you're engaging with someone uh, very immersively and this is an area frankly you know, that i feel is um is is actually very unfortunate in the way that the world has evolved because the level of importance that we've placed on physical presence and geography is almost um, harmful for society, because what it does is, you know, uh, economic opportunities created based on your geographic, you know, proximity to someone, which has nothing to do with skill set or ability or hunger or any of those dimensions. It's about everything to do with where are you physically. And we just have to make sure that the next generation of leaders, um, if they can become really good at building deep relationships without meeting someone in person, you will have created a massive unlock in society. Because what that will do is allow people to say, I can access talent from anywhere in the world rather than only in certain parts of the world. And regardless of where you are, we will be able to make sure that we can actually ideate and build strong bonds and relationships, which then is just net positive. There's no net negative in that that dimension. But right now, what ends up happening is people keep thinking, "Well, you can't do X, y, z because the medium of video has become very transactive in nature. You know, and so I think that what we have to do is make the medium of video, become more natural rather than just transactive. What I mean by transactive is there's always in a video call. There is an agenda. There's a beginning. There's an end. And there's this obsession around productivity. Can we save each other time by actually getting done? That is not the mindset that we use when we meet each other for dinner. You know, like if I have a 30 minute meeting with you, you know, and uh, at meeting 20 at minute 23, if there is a lull. Um, and there's seven people in a meeting. Someone in the meeting will say, "Hey, any other questions?" Or we'll give back seven minutes to you. But if the seven people have gone out to dinner at meeting twenty-three, there's a lull. You ask, "Hey, what do you do on the weekends? Do you do you have family? Are you? Uh, what do you do for fun? What was your background? Where'd you come from?" And each one of those things create context, create familiarity, create a level of trust. Uh, between people and that trust allows you to then have conflict. Which is a necessary condition of business in my mind and debate without taking it personally. So I think that that's the dimension that over time starts to erode in video that we have to get better with and say, how do you make sure that that doesn't happen? And that's not just about technology. That's about the societal reprogramming of saying we should be able to wander in a meeting and we should not have to have every single meeting be so transactive in nature when it's on video.
0: That, that, that actually um, makes me think about some things that we are doing in, in the space as well. Um, off late, a, a new form has also emerged, virtual reality where uh-huh. our clients are talking to us about how they can integrate VR experiences uh-huh. Uh-huh. as well. It's gone beyond audio and video now. Um, and The idea is that all these ecosystems are converging quite rapidly. You got robotics on one end, you got 3D printing happening on another end, then you got 5G and the incredible networks that are getting built up. All these come together, uh, not just in a business context, but even in a technology context. Earlier, instead of Mm -hmm. having a plant engineer, having to visit a plant physically to check on the serviceability of some uh, item, clients are thinking about how they can do it in in a virtual environment through robots, Mm -hmm. which are Uh, of course, locally present. But but your question of how this, you know, creates uh, further alienation in society or whether it relates to the um, lack of physical bonding that happens in the real world, I I think that remains to be seen. Uh, However, I still believe that virtual reality is going to be a big jump in how people can connect. Uh, I don't know where the technologies are yet. There's a lot of companies in the space working on it. Just wanted to get your thoughts on what do you think about this and do you think this is a natural, logical progression of uh, human digitization?
1: I I do believe it's actually going to have um, meaningful uh, step function improvement in providing immersive experiences that make it feel like uh, the technology has gotten out of the way. And so if you look at what Apple just announced with Vision Pro, we are very excited about what that has the capability of doing. Um, because frankly, um, you know, for those that have had the good fortune of trying it out, it is, um, it is pretty phenomenal on how other than smell and touch, right, uh, you feel as though you're right there. They've done such an amazing job of just getting full immersion in a in a location uh, with. Um, uh, but that, it's it's, it's actually uh, I, I think it's going to be a step function improvement. Um, you know, as far as taking away the distance. Um, and and then I think there's one dimension which is technology and there's another dimension which is human conditioning and the humans human desire to want to be with someone in a very tactile way that I don't think will ever go away. And that piece of it. Is why we need to make sure that we are thinking about this in mixed mode, not 100% remote mode. You know, the reason that we need to come together is because there are some things that are done better together, and then there are some things that are done better when you are done better when you're remote because you have more agility, flexibility, faster clock speed, all of that. And so, when you have a large group of people that are coming together um, and collaborating. There's, there's, we're still pretty far away for that being something that can be done as well virtually. When you have a meeting like this um, with, a, uh, with a group of people, in large groups of people work better virtually because of the aided technology that you might have, which you might not have in an in-person medium. So it just all depends on the use case. But I think virtual reality will play a very, very big role. Uh, it'll be a slow start. Um, because of the form factor um, that's there and because of the cost. But what you will see is there's going to be a tremendous amount of, um, you know, kind of uh, upside. And so in the next 5 to 10 years. Um, those, um, um, those experiences actually being in a form factor similar to our glasses will make a huge difference. But I also feel like the current form factor which like, you know, the Division Pro and what Apple has done are going to be Massive in in its usage. Once people start experiencing it, I was blown away when I saw it, and uh, we are we are very very excited about what we are building as experiences around it. Wonderful, wonderful.
0: Yeah, uh, I think um, hybrid working is definitely here to stay, and all these experiences, as you said, it it started with text, then it went on to audio. Now we've got sight, video coming in. Um, so all of these are definitely adding more and more senses to the online platform, if I may. Uh, and yep. yes, the holy grail will be to get all the five senses online, <laughs> so that yeah. it's completely undifferentiated from a real world experience. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'll be the day. And you, you guys have been at the cutting edge of this. You said five to ten yeah. years. Is that when you think all the five senses will be integrated?
1: Uh, you know, it, you you always um, overestimate what happens in the short term and underestimate what happens in the long term. And so I think um, there's a confluence of factors that have to come together. But I tend to be pretty optimistic that if you think about even what happens in the next year with step function improvements, you'll actually start seeing major progress. And then given the rate of growth that is going to happen because of AI, and given the rate of growth that's happening, because of, um, you know, kind of um, um, how much, you know, the 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 chipset enhancements that are happening, and um, 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 the GPUs that are actually advancing at a fast pace, I think there's going to be a fair amount of, it's hard to imagine what uh, how much better it's going to be in a 10-year time period, but it is definitely going to be something, like the last 10 years, I don't think the progress in virtual reality was as profound as it will be in the next 10 years from what people see. You know.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we spoke a lot about the technology and I think we are slowly coming to the next topic, which is the people experience. Uh, specifically mm. in the enterprise context, I think the consumer impact is quite clear, but in the enterprise context, which is where our companies have a significant play in, how, how are collaboration technologies and the whole security angle that comes along with it? Is there an improvement in the employee experience overall or in the client experience, the customer experience, or is it just, you know, an augmentation of how things have always happened in the past? Do you think there's productivity bumps as well that you're seeing with all of these technologies coming in? Uh,
1: I think there's massive productivity bumps um, and there's massive um you know, kind of augmentation of, um, you know, like uh, with AI, I think you'll actually see even more productivity bumps that happen. Because that, the nice part about these are these are not things that you look at in isolation. I think they get really powerful when you look at them all together. So, you know, you might be communicating on video, but then when you miss a meeting um, and the AI engine can actually give you a summary of the meeting and what the action items were. Um, that's fantastic, which then if you take that further step and say, wow, there's some meetings I sit in just to observe and other meetings I sit in to participate. Well, the ones that I sit in just to observe, I might not sit in those meetings and just look at a summary in the end. And that might be good enough. Um, and that's going to give me back a lot of time. If I'm going to do some things which are going to be Um, You know, there are going to be some pieces I do synchronously with meetings like what you and I are doing right now, but there might be other meetings that I might do asynchronously where I actually just send you my thoughts on video. Rather than typing out a message because video actually captures tone better than text does sometimes. Um, And then if someone has any question, they can actually respond back to me. Um, And then you can have a back and forth conversation on video, but that's actually going to be a very, very enriching way of doing things. But you don't, you're not constrained by. Um, you know, uh, having the same time available uh, for both of us across multiple different time zones—that could create a massive unlock. So I think like asynchronous technology. Uh, I think AI for um, really going out and providing some sort of an assistant or a sidekick for every um, every person that they didn't have before. Um, those are things that create massive unlocks of productivity. You know, and I, I think we are still at the very early stage of um huge productivity shifts that can happen um you know over the course of the next you know five years scientific progress will compound at, at least at an exponentially high, higher rate than what it did before and because of ai eventually you know you will see like a thousand x improvement in scientific progress and that will all contribute to productivity in some pretty profound ways absolutely
0: absolutely uh, and with the um productivity bumps there's definitely going to be um, a larger scale adoption and increasingly one of the um, common areas that our customers are asking us about is the security implications of all of this mm-hmm. uh, yeah. one of course the yeah what, what, the the easiest one to think about is people are logging in into my network on a much more wider scale from endpoints that i could not even have imagined how do i manage it But there's also the whole emerging trend around AI, which is impersonating, which is able to give you an experience which uh, can fool even the most robust antivirus or security systems in the world. So Cisco, uh, and of course, as the head of the security business as well, what are your thoughts on the security aspects behind?
1: Yeah, I think if you security is one of the most important problems in our day and age, because what it essentially is doing is establishing trust between parties, and trust is such an important dimension of um, being able to conduct, um, you know, kind of business between two parties. That if you don't have an established medium of trust, then you you you, you cannot go out and do anything meaningful between there. So. There's a few things happening in security that are really interesting right now. Number one is you have to assume that, um, you know, security is in the core fabric of everything we do. Uh, And you have to make sure that safety is a basic human right. In my mind, there's few basic human rights that we think about. The ability for being able to connect is a basic human right because it allows you to go out and participate in, in, um, in a global economy from everywhere. Security is a basic human right. Privacy is a basic human right. Um, Those are all kind of things that you just have to assume that people are going to want to have because it's going to be for the betterment of humanity in general. Now, what's happening in the world of security though is. Is pretty interesting and also pretty concerning in some ways, right? So that we have to always stay a step ahead. There's a there's a. Natural asymmetry that exists and the balance of power. um, Is very interesting over here because. There is only two parties here. There is the, um, the the adversaries and the defenders, right? Um, and when you start thinking about the adversaries, what you start to see is they are getting more and more sophisticated over time, and the surface area of, of the attack surface area is increasing quite exponentially, especially as people start working hybrid. So when I'm working from a coffee shop. Or when I'm working from my car, uh, or when I'm working from my campus, I am accessing the same information. Um, but sometimes on an unsecured network, sometimes on a secure network, sometimes on a managed device, sometimes on an unmanaged device. And you have to make sure that regardless of where you're accessing this from, you're able to go out and keep the intellectual property safe and secure. Right. And so, What's happening? The the sophistication of the adversary is increasing. The attack surface is going up, and the way that security has evolved over the course of the past twenty five years is it has largely been a uh, evolution of you know innovation has happened through patchwork. What do I mean by that? There's a new threat that came up, and as a result, there was a new company that came to go out and compensate for the threat, right? And so you you have as a result, what's happened is there's been thirty five hundred vendors in the market. And on average, most companies, enterprises, you talk about have 50 to 70 vendors in the cybersecurity stack. And while this was done initially to increase the efficacy, today, it is the very thing that's eroding efficacy. Because when you have, why is that, because when you have 70 vendors, that's 70 different policy engines. That's 70 different places where cracks can occur in the system. There's 70 different places where there might be contention between policies. And so what ends up happening is you've got this very unproductive kind of environment for a company to have their employees keep themselves secure because they have to learn all of these different technologies and it's actually going to be untenable. So we believe there's a movement that's happening right now where you will actually see a move and a shift to platforms rather than point solutions. And the shift to platforms, there's there's going to be about half a dozen platforms in the world that are going to be, um, you know, uh, the ones that you have rather than having 3,500. And those 3,500 vendors aren't going to go away. They will work with the platform, but the primary kind of, um, um, you know, infrastructure is going to be with those four platform providers. You know, Cisco will be one of them. Microsoft will be one of them. Palo Alto will be one of them. Uh, and we will all kind of, you know, have our own advantages and disadvantages, which you'll see many, uh, You'll see fewer platforms than you will see an abund- you know, like hundreds of platforms, right? And what that will allow us to do is make sure that you can, security is a game of data. It is not a game where you can actually go out and deal with it with just human scale. You have to deal with it at machine scale because the volume of threats and attacks are increasing so exponentially that you cannot deal with it at human scale. So if you're dealing with a machine scale, the thing that's most important is what is the telemetry and data and what is the correlation of that telemetry across different domains that can allow you to not only detect a breach faster, but respond and remediate that breach faster and make sure that you can prevent that from occurring in the first place. And so I think what happens in security um, for the end user is it's too complicated right now. And people get afraid of security because they're like, I don't know what to do with this. So the vendors have to make it easy for the end user, and the vendors have to make it efficient for the enterprise in managing those security infrastructures in the right way so that it doesn't become a huge management burden in an overhead. And that, I think, is where you're going to see a lot of improvements. I think generative AI will help quite a bit with that. You'll see even predictive AI is going to be hugely important in that aspect, uh, but it is going to be a game at machine scale, not human scale.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about the uh, the platform. Uh, this this came up in another customer conversation as well recently. The key levers that that lead to the emergence of these platforms, as you said, are one: you want these end customers to move away from the complexity of having to deal with maybe hundreds, if not thousands, of suppliers. And second, the, the brand trust, knowing Cisco knowing these other companies and trusting them that they will do what they've advertised by well. are there any yes. other elements to the emergence of these platforms what else uh, well, defines think, who wins and who loses
1: i think it's um it's the breadth of capability it's the ease of use with which that platform can actually be deployed it's the economics of the platform for total cost of ownership it's the sophistication of, um, it's the efficacy. So the way that we think about this is if you think about the efficacy, the economics, and the experience, those are the three big ones. You know, And then, of course, the, the brand trust is the underlying kind of, uh, you want to make sure that the core values of the company uh, and the business model of the company is not at odds with what you're trying to do. Like, for example, uh, the business model, it's very hard for the business model to be Around taking a customer's piece of data and monetizing it, right? Um, to then also be the provider of security, it's just much easier to make sure that there's no conflict of interest in the business model. So I think those things matter.
0: Wonderful. I, I think the the three E's. I'll I'll remember that. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. great way to summarize that whole uh, experience. Yeah. Uh, you you briefly touched upon how generative AI and large language models can change the narrative with how platforms can scale up quickly. And uh, literally every conversation I've been in for the last three to four weeks with any CXO has stumbled upon generative AI. Of course, yeah. So do you think it's just the next big fad or is there something more real to this?
1: I, I think AI is the next big platform shift. Um, okay. And by the way, I've been very skeptical on some of the other kind of technologies that have had a lot of hype. Like, for example, you know, Web 3, I thought was largely kind of incomprehensible, um, you know, un- undefined use cases, not really clear what the um, what people were talking about. But when you think about AI, it's very clear that this is the next big platform. Trip. I think it'll be bigger than the Im- impact that the Internet had on society. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of goodness to it. I think there's also going to be a lot of downsides to it. We have to make sure that we are careful about the downsides and responsible about that while making sure we can capitalize on the on the upside. But it's um, it's hard to think of a relevant technology company that will not have AI as part of the core fabric of what they do. It's just going to be, it's, it's kind of like, can you imagine a company today that d- does not use the internet? and was a credible software company. It's just hard to do that, right? Uh, in the same way, I think it's going to be hard to think about um, a credible company in tech that's not going to use AI. I think it's going to be a pretty foundational, uh, you know, kind of shift. And when there's these platform shifts that happen, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of experimentation that happens with a lot of different pieces. Um, but the one thing that's actually starting to converge now that we have six, seven months behind us is, you're not going to have one player win at all. In fact, there's going to be many, many different models. It will remain fraction, but the model itself is not where the, the model is going to get commoditized. Where people are going to be able to differentiate, where companies will differentiate is on the data set and the experience, not on the model itself. Because the models are, you're going to have, uh, the foundational models that are going to be available. You will have specialized models you build on top of the foundational models. With proprietary datasets that create experiences that are very, very, um, you know, specific for what your use case demands. And so, for example, if I go into uh, uh, if I if if I am um, um, if I go into Chat GPT and say, "Hey, what meetings did I miss this morning?" it would have no idea. But when I go into Webex and say, "What meetings did I miss this morning?" it's going to give me a summary of the meetings you missed and what the action items were and what you actually missed in the meetings. That's actually because of a proprietary data set tied with a specialized model that's tied to, to a foundational model that gives you that data. And that experience has to be flawless. and has to be very fluid in the way that it happens.
0: So if I if I if I hear you right, you're saying that the the foundation could be standardized. Maybe it's open AI, maybe it's Bard, something else. But the experiences can be driven very uniquely. And I that and the, the, the models, different
1: models for enterprises. Exactly. And the foundational models themselves will not be, you're not just going to have one, you will have many. You know, like even today, if you think about it, when you started on November 30th, when ChatGPT came about, people in, in the first week, they're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Look at what this can do. And the possibility just kept compounding on how people got creative with it. By March, you thought that they were going to rule the world. And by May, you know, Google came out. And completely neutralized ChatGPT. And now you've got Palm 2, and now you've got Facebook, and you've got Anthropic, and you've got Cohere, and you've got Oracle that's doing really well. And so there's there's gonna be a fair number of companies that'll create the foundational models, but the true magic will happen when those uh, custom data sets that companies have can be applied in a way that give you some very, very unique insights. So, for example, what we're doing with a SOC assistant, so that a way in which you pre- prevent a breach will have a, have a generative AI bot. That's a, That takes our incident data that we have in security, and can train the model based on that incident data, and can then allow you to detect a breach faster so that you can respond and remediate that in a better way. That's something that you don't get just by going and typing in a chat GPT, you get it by actually creating uh, very, very bespoke experiences.
0: Yeah, uh, one concern that uh, comes up from a few of our clients in recent times, and, and this is specific maybe to open AI. Their, um, their usage terms are such that whatever gets fed into it, and this goes back to the fact that you mentioned these proprietary data sets are what will create the differentiation. But if the provider of the services has a more altruistic motive to running the business, which means that they just want to create this Super intelligence somewhere that can answer pretty much any question. But don't you see this kind of a dichotomy? The platform wants to be altruistic, but the layer on top of it wants to be capitalistic, to put it in very sort of crude terms.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, I think it's a very uh, good question because what's happening right now is the terms. Uh, and the honoring of privacy of data is going to be central to how these things will evolve for the enterprise. And that's why I don't believe there's going to be just one model. I think what you'll find is there'll be open source models. There'll be models which can run on my data center. There'll be models actually that have very different terms of service um, that allow you to go out and prevent your data training um, the model in some way, but is used for, uh, you know, inference in a certain way. Uh, and so like, there's gonna be a bunch of things that ha- that the, the chief legal officer in a company is gonna have a very important role over the course of the next few um, years, because how you construct the terms and conditions of the partnerships with these different firms will really matter. Um, and I don't think it'll be one size fits all. And right now, what happened was, OpenAI initially came in and they had this huge upsurge of demand and they just couldn't keep up. Then Microsoft came up output stuff and now you've got other, you know, you've got multiple different options that if you do want to then take a fair share of revenue from the enterprise, you're going to have to make sure that you deal with the enterprise constraints and not just go out and say I'm going to use the, all of your data
0: because it would violate
1: every company's contracts that they have with the existing customers. You just can't do that. So like you, you're, you're going to have to have a different way of um, Structuring it. So, I I personally feel like the market forces will take care of that. Um, The companies that don't want to go out and deal with that piece of it will not be as relevant in the enterprise. And the companies that do want to be relevant in the enterprise will have to adjust to what the enterprise constraints are.
0: Fair enough. Um, In our company, I I mean, uh, we've already found some really good use cases. Uh, As you probably heard earlier, we help companies figure out how to grow revenue. And as part of that agenda, we are part of the marketing organization's uh, extended work stream. Uh, A key thing that we help companies with is figure out how their product lines match with the industry context of the clients that they deal with. So everybody, Mm -hmm. every company knows how their company sells, what they sell, but what they typically have as a blind spot is selling into the industry context of the clients, coming up with those specific pain points. And we've used our data set. We have our own data set of uh, around 200,000 micro markets that we track. So we're trying to train that. We are doing it with a smaller set to test the waters. And we are seeing if it can be used for automated white paper generation as an initial use case. So we estimate that by um, once we get the model right, we can crunch the white paper generation process from four weeks to maybe a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Have you seen something like this in your experience within Cisco or in the industry where they are really seeing real out- outcomes from the usage of Gen AI? Yeah, I
1: think there's like the, uh, you know, the, it, there's, it's a very interesting question because one of the things that I've found is there's about four key um, benefits that actually can be provided to, um, to companies when you start using this. So, firstly, the the data model that you have. One of the things that most companies are going to have to figure out is we talk a lot about the foundational models, but the data itself and how you manage the data and what kind of data lake you have and what the infrastructure is for going out and getting having data at scale is going to be a pretty important dimension of the of every company's business that you have to think through. Pretty, you know, your data infrastructure is a non trivial task to go out and you know kind of perfect. Once you've got that right. I think to your point, there's going to be four major things that can provide it as benefits. The first one is it just compresses the time, like you said, within which you can get a job done. And that's great. The second one is it actually also improves the dexterity of the individual who's doing the job. It's not just compressing of the time, but the product will be better if you actually have an assistant or an aide or a sidekick or co-pilot to do something with. Number three is your quality will improve quite a bit you know, uh, as you actually start to have this out. So imagine as you have a shorter amount of time, greater dexterity of, um, enhancing of the dexterity of the people that are working on it, the quality improving, and then the output, the quantity is going to go up quite a bit as well, are four dimensions where you will actually see this. Now, it's very interesting to think about this because if you think about those kind of jobs where the uh supply um is way short of the demand the demand way out exceeds the supply um in any of those jobs think about engineers i have no finite demand for code it's an infinite demand for code if i have an engineer get to be 5x more productive That means that we will just have more code, but we're not going to hire less engineers because of it. Like we will just have them produce five times as much code. Um, On on the other hand, so for those pieces where there's a way big mismatch between demand and supply, or where the supply is way short compared to demand, you will actually see this not actually having any effect on jobs. And you will see this being uh, just pure productivity accelerant. Then there will be jobs where demand and supply are kind of largely in equilibrium with one another. You know, I have X amount of supply, X amount of demand, That's uh, and we increase productivity. At that point in time, when you increase productivity and you don't need more supply, only one or two things happen. Either your price goes down or you need less people and your cost improves, right? And so that's something that you have to keep in mind um, as you go through it. So. I, I do feel like those dimensions are still not completely. We we think about all of these in the same kind of. Um, um uh, in a category and I think there's going to be different categories, so there might be a certain finite amount of appetite for certain outputs, and then there's going to be an infinite amount of appetite for other outputs. And for those other outputs, you won't really see massive amounts of. Um, um you know, kind of reduction of s- supply, but what you will see is, um, just uh, the the output is going to be better quality. It's going to be better, faster, cheaper.
0: Makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, I, I think quality is something we are still grappling with. We initially estimated that we'll probably get to this white paper generation in minutes, but there is mm-hmm. reading to be done. <laughs> so,
1: and there's human judgment. I don't think right now we haven't gotten generative AI to the point where generative AI right now is an aggregator it is not a original insight generator, right? Uh, But what is most underestimated about Generative AI is the amount of original insights that will be generated that don't exist in the human corpus of knowledge today. So how you cure cancer might be an idea that comes from an AI engine rather than from a human. Um, And when that happens, you will actually see a very, very different kind of um, um, set of output. Right now, the reason you can't do the thing in two minutes is because Humans are still required for judgment and original insight, and the machine can do a good job at aggregating. Um, but then you still need to make sure that you have your own kind of judgment and nuance to uh, to add the right level of uh, you know flair to the to the white paper.
0: Yeah, uh, and I know Cisco is also a big investor into the um, uh, into the um, startup ecosystem. Uh, I don't know if you have a strong play there personally. Uh, what do you think are the areas where um, you would be investing your money into, in terms of the startups that are emerging? What use cases in security, collaboration, AI would you find the hottest areas right now?
1: Well, I think like if you think of what what we end up doing, and you know uh, the way that we work through it is the investments that we do require a business level sponsorship. So CorpDev doesn't just do investments without a business sponsor. You typically need a business sponsor with someone in the business unit that says, I want to go out and make sure that I keep a close tab of this company. I want to make sure I partner with them. I want to make sure that we actually invest in them and actually grow this because that would be good strategically for us. And so they become strategic investments, not just investments to return capital, you know? And uh, so yes, I'm very involved in those. Uh, And the categories typically, Tend to be anything that you can see um, enhancing your portfolio that you would not see building yourself because it probably is good to have built outside, but then you you can have partnership or influence on that company as a result of having an investment placed is a good thing. But our motivation is not to go out and just compound the money it is to make sure that we can actually play a more active role in the development of that technology whether inside cisco or outside cisco to shape the industry better for achieving our mission and purpose you know which is to power an inclusive future for all which means that you know any kind of collaborative innovations that are happening anything on ai anything on security those are all like very strategic investments for us anything around connectivity Uh, Anything in observability, Uh, we are in four businesses when you think about it, right? Networking, collaboration, observability, and security. Those are the four major businesses that we're in. And any areas of innovation that are happening over there that are discontinuous in nature are the ones that we really focus on. If we can build it in three months, we don't focus on it. But if it's something that's very discontinuous, we pay attention to that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a a great way to look at it. Just to uh, I know we are almost at the end of the uh, time Jitu. just one final question before we close. What do you think are the uh, biggest unsolved problems in the security and collaboration space? What what keeps you sort of running day in and day out on the business?
1: Well, I'll tell you this, the um, unsolved problem right now in security is that it is too hard to use and it's too hard to manage. And I. Uh, you have to be right every single time, and the adversary has to be right once, and that asymmetry gives the advantage to the adversary. So you have to always be a step ahead. And I think it's getting very hard for organizations, and so that's that's the area that um, you know we're trying to work very hard on. And I think that's we're in the early days, I think there's a lot more to be done. And the collaboration side, if I think about it, you have to just make sure that the distance disappears and uh, people are able to engage with each other in an immersive way where distance does not become a factor uh, that you evaluate someone's ability to contribute with you know it should be uh uh regardless of where you you could be in a village in bangladesh or you could be in the heart of silicon valley you should be able to participate in the global economy without any handicap i don't think we're there yet i think that's what we need to do um, and then the other thing is leadership. How do you build leaders that are truly global leaders? Which means that you know how to build deep relationships and trust getting established, regardless of whether you've met that, that individual in person or only on video. You, you should not even be able to remember. But that no, you and I are able to build a strong bond without you and I ever having met, there is a power to that that's actually very different than we having, having to have the constraint of meaning. You know, this conversation, you and I have never met in person. Um, this is a conversation that we've had and hopefully this conversation continues and you and I continue to establish trust with each other. And that is now someone that I was able to do that with that I never had to meet in person. And that that has a power to it that's very kind of uh, it. It makes the world a better place because it you know opportunity is pretty unevenly distributed throughout the planet, but human potential is not. So we need to make sure that we actually match, we orient on human potential being harnessed no matter where it is, rather than focusing on the uneven distribution of opportunity. You got to even out the distribution of opportunity.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of this uh, concept of. Uh... Timeless software, which we used to have back in the day. You build software mm-hmm. which stands the test of time. So, this is timeless collaboration. I mean, build a platform which enables you to collaborate uh, in a timeless way. Uh, in, thank in you, GP. Or... Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Go
1: ahead. No, I was going to say, in a, in a way, where the, uh, the, it's, it's less about the time and more about the uh, the space doesn't matter. Right. And so, And then you're right on time as well. We didn't talk about the async component of it, but you know synchronous versus asynchronous is pretty big. Right now you and I can only meet at the time that both of us are available. Wouldn't it be nice to meet at a time when either of us are available at our own convenient times? And so that's why we've kind of, this async is a big, big piece of it.
0: It is, it is. Yeah, Yeah. there's probably some other conversations I'm having in the next few weeks, which will get into that as well. Uh, Good segue into that for the audience. Uh, thank you again, Jitu, for a very interesting discussion. You've given some great insights and thought starters for entrepreneurs, mid-level leaders, CXOs, whoever ends up listening to this podcast. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Uh, again, I was in conversation with Jitu Patel, EVP and GM of the security and collaboration business at Cisco. Thanks again, Jitu, for your time. And to the audience, stay tuned. We'll have more such interesting episodes on disruption dialogues. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to know how you can navigate and thrive in this disruptive era, subscribe to Disruption Dialogues on your go-to podcast channels and stay tuned for more interesting episodes.